The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. As you could tell, I still sound sick, but it's because we're recording back-to-back episodes, so hopefully in real life, I'm much better by now. (laughs) We can pray. Such a true power. All the weeks to have to do a double recording. (laughs) I know. I was like, this is how I know that God hates me or that there definitely (laughs) is no God because... Literally, next week we're not recording because we're double recording this week. I'm like, why can't I get COVID then? Why does it have to be the week that we're double recording and I have to talk a lot? At least you get extra long to recuperate then. I guess you can have an extra, you know, quiet week next week. Yeah, or like I can do something fun because I'll be better. Yeah, yeah that's, well, that's, that's a good point actually. Rather than spending time doing this, you can be out there enjoying life again. <laughs> enjoying my fulfilling life. <laughs> Hopefully... I won't have long COVID and still be suffering. Oh, surely not. Surely. You, it's your, your time's coming, I feel like. You're going to be all good. Oh, you know what I didn't talk about last time? That last time, like, you know, when we last recorded 10 minutes ago. <laughs> One hour ago. <laughs> I got a call today that my wedding dress is ready to pick up. Mm. Exciting. How exciting. And I mailed my first international mail to Olivia <laughs> to my save the date, and she got it. It was successful. I was I got very it. nervous because I didn't know how to do it. So exciting. So, so, so exciting. Yeah. So hopefully it all works out and you can make the big trip. <laughs> yep. Fingers crossed. I've got my flights booked. Just need everything to line up so we can get there. And for the airports to stop being such a fucking disaster. <laughs> I know. That's, I probably shouldn't even really talk about it, but I'm so nervous about our flights being um, cancelled for this trip that we're going on. Only because the day that we get back, like this is a whole mum story, so people might tune out but um the the kids school asked me to be in charge of the bake like it's it's a bake sale essentially for their fair that they do like a fate like I don't know what what do you guys call them like a fair do you have school fairs there uh I don't know I mean they do like little bake sale type stupid things so they do this once a year and they do like stalls rides food all that so anyway they've asked me to be in charge of the bake sale so I've had to coordinate 150 bakers so it's been really fun. But, but um, so we get back on the Saturday and then this thing is on the Sunday. So I've had to enlist this other la- lady to help me just in case my flight is cancelled. So it's, anyway, I'm just hoping for the best. I just need it to all run smoothly. That's it. Well, hopefully it does. Yeah, fingers crossed. Anyway, Nelly there. By the time this comes out, we'll know, I guess. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we, might, we might have a crazy update in the next episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are the flights as bad like in Australia as they are here? I always hear about them getting cancelled like constantly here and being crazy. Well, so I'm I'm a member of this Facebook group because uh, like our main airlines here are Qantas and Jetstar. Jetstar is like the low cost version of Qantas. Qantas is our main national airline. So some my friend added me to a group, and all I seem to see is my flight's cancelled. My flight's cancelled. But then I found That's this crazy. website last night where it actually tells you the stats of your of because obviously most flights are regular like they happen every day or every you know however many days a week so I yeah. found this website that tells you the on-timeness of your flight for the last two months and neither flight has been cancelled once which is good some of them have been very late um, which I do not want but over like they're about 50% on time so I figure that's all right <laughs> <laughs> not terrible 
hopefully I'll be one of the 50%. But yeah, it's just crazy here. Like, I don't know if it's due to staff, staff shortages or cost cutting or both, but it seems like there's a lot of airport and flight issues at the moment. Yeah, I think here they're saying they just literally don't have enough staff for the f- flights. We were so lucky with our America trip that not like everything was perfect. Nothing went wrong, but I've just heard so many disasters, like people whose 10-hour flight has now turned into a 65-hour flight because they have to go oh by God. Taiwan and like I'm like, oh, my God. Imagine doing that with kids as well. That would be a disaster. No, I couldn't even do it just myself. <laughs> no. So this is only a one-hour flight. So, you know, if worse comes to worse, we can drive it because it's like an eight-hour drive. I'd just rather not. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, well, hopefully, hopefully it all goes well. Hopefully by next year it'll be better so you can have a, mm. a nice trip here and we yes. can have fun yes. at my wedding. Woohoo! Have to, yeah, have to start planning my outfit. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> Same. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. Well, since we've already talked enough to each other today, we'll just get right into it. (laughs) So this episode, we're going to be talking about Debbie Collier, which is, if you follow us anyways, you've definitely seen us posting about it. It's a case that's going on right now. So who knows? We'll probably have to record an update at the end because something else will surely happen. But it's a very weird case that about this mom in Georgia. She went missing but no one even knew she was really missing at that point and she went to dollar general but then she venmoed her daughter like over two thousand dollars saying like they won't let me go there's a key here xyz so it's a weird case a lot of people have a lot of questions about it so we're gonna get into the full story was that a good enough vague summary <laughs> yeah that's perfect <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Christine, uh, investigators are calling this case complex, and certainly they have a lot more to do, but this new revelation video is clearing some things up. This is Debbie Collier walking into a family dollar in Clayton, Georgia on Saturday, September 10th. It's just before 3 p.m., only hours before Collier's husband reported her missing. In this security camera video, you can see her picking up several things, including a rain poncho, a tarp, paper towels, and a torch lighter. The Habersham County Sheriff's Department says this clue is crucial. A spokesman tells Fox 5 News all of those items were found here at the crime scene the next day, next to Collier's nude body with burn marks on it. They didn't know how they got there, now they do. Also, they now know Collier was still alive at three that afternoon. But here's the added twist. In a statement, investigators say over the weekend, Collier's daughter, Amanda Bearden, told them she was at the Clayton Family Dollar that Saturday. A review of security video and interviews so far hasn't backed that claim up. Okay, so we'll start with our background on Debbie. She was a 59-year-old woman, and like we said, she was found dead in Athens, Georgia, and this happened on September 11th, 2022. Um, Debbie lived with her husband, Stephen. Her daughter is Amanda Bearden, and she lives nearby with her boyfriend, who was a former amateur MMA fighter named Andrew Geigrich, in a house that is owned by Stephen, the stepfather. So Debbie also has a second adult child, and his name is Jeffrey Bearden. A lot of names right there, but I'll remind you who they are as we go. So before Debbie died, she worked for years as an office manager at Carriage House Realty. And the last time that Debbie was seen alive by Stephen was on September 9th, 2022, which was a Friday. He later told police that he had seen her at about 9 p.m. when he went to bed, and the couple slept 
The couple slept in separate bedrooms just due to snoring issues. And when Steve left the house the next morning, he must have assumed that Debbie was just still there because her car was in the driveway. So the car that was in the driveway was a rental vehicle because Debbie's usual vehicle was in the shop. So the rental was a 2022 Chrysler Pacifica. Um, the next communication from Debbie came in at 3.17 p.m. She, or someone pretending to be her, made a Venmo payment from an account that she shared with Steve, and she paid her daughter Amanda $2,385 and included the following message with it. She wrote, They are not going to let me go. Love you. There is a key to the house in the blue flower pot by the door. And that is written as all one sentence, no punctuation, if that matters. And the Venmo entries are public. So you, you can see them on the Venmo account. Um, and it does say, like it says, Steve Collier paid Amanda Bearden. So um, that's kind of who obviously the account was in the name of. But it's came yeah. from Debbie. And we'll apparently. get into it a little further down. But there's more proof of um, Debbie using this account to send Amanda money. So it's not like it was actually Steve doing it, but there's like proof of her using this account in the past. So despite this odd message, Amanda and Steve took three hours after it to report Debbie missing. Amanda has said that she tried to call Debbie, but there was no answer. Just as a reminder, Steve is Debbie's husband. Amanda's the daughter. So the athens Clark County Police Department missing person report said an officer met with Stephen around 6.08 p.m. on September 10th on Rocky Drive. The neighborhood is near northern city limits of Athens, Georgia, Highway 441. So Amanda told police that only Debbie's driver's license and debit cards seemed to be missing, and both Steve and Amanda said that that behavior was unusual for Debbie and that there was nobody that they could think of that she would be visiting. Amanda also told police that her mother had no history of mental illness or suicidal tendencies. She said Debbie, quote, had a bad back and couldn't have walked far. So Debbie's rental car was thankfully equipped with Sirius XM satellite radio and police were able to use that to track the location. So on Sunday, September 11th, Sirius XM tracked the SUV to US 441 near Victory Home Lane, just 60 miles north of Debbie's home and contacted the Habersham County Sheriff's Office. So the car was located in a pull-off near a logging road and it was unlocked and empty. Police officer also came across the car in that same spot around 5 p.m. on September 10th, which was around one hour before Debbie was reported missing. Athens police told Amanda the location of the vehicle and she turned up to the scene and she began screaming that the car belonged to her mother. Officers started to search, and a canine unit found a red tote bag about a quarter mile from the vehicle and what appeared to be remains of a fire nearby. A little further away, officers found a blue tarp with burn marks and a nude female lying on her back, grasping a small tree with her right hand, which is according to the incident report. It's so strange. I know, the tree part always throws me off. <laughs> like, why um, Why would anyone be holding a tree when they die? Like, I don't know. I I'm don't guessing know. she, yeah. my guess would be she was trying to, like, pull herself, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I'm guessing it was, like, a rooted tree, like, in the ground still. Mm, that's what I, how I read it. Yeah. 
The Habersham County Sheriff's Office Criminal Investigations Division has executed several search warrants at locations directly tied to the victim and have conducted preliminary interviews of those closest to the victim. How and why the body of Debbie Collier ended up in a remote wooded area over 50 miles away from her home remains a mystery. The 59-year-old was reported missing September 10th to the athens Clark County Police Department. The next day, September 11th, a serious XM service pinged the location to her van. Chief Deputy Murray Kogod of the Habersham County Sheriff's Office released this recorded message as the story continues to gain international attention. And that the last communication from the missing person was a transfer to the daughter of $2,385 with a text message tied to the Venmo transfer stating, they won't let me go. There is a key to the house underneath the flower pot. Kogot says canine units were brought in to search the heavily wooded area. The search resulted in the locating of a red tote bag, a partially burnt blue and color tarp, and eventually the victim's partially nude and burnt body grasping a small tree down a ravine. It's been nearly two weeks since her disappearance and the grim discovery and still no word on a motive, suspect description, or any answers. So Debbie's remains were taken by the Habersham County coroner who transported her to Georgia Bureau of Investigation's crime lab. One interesting thing to note, the incident report has the drug-related box checked as yes. So if that's confusing, like if there's a little checkbox that says drug-related and they checked yes. So we don't know if that means that there was drugs found on the scene or like why they would have checked that. Um at this time, they hadn't said anything about that, but you can read the entire incident report on our blog, too. So Amanda spoke to the media shortly after her mother's remains were found and said, my mom was my everything. Somebody took my whole world from me. She was a beautiful, kind, giving woman, and she didn't deserve any of this. I want justice for my mom. She also said that she had dinner with Debbie on the night before she disappeared and that they ran errands before Amanda returned to her home. So the investigation into what happened to Debbie began, and police and the media began delving into her home life. According to a neighbor, there was an altercation on the night before Debbie disappeared. She said, there was commotion at the house, a neighbor told the New York Post. She said she frequently heard shouting from Debbie's home. If you remember, her and the daughter were running errands that night, so I don't know if that's insinuating that they would have gotten into a fight. Um... The neighbor also added, somebody comes up and visits on the weekends, and in the evenings, there's loud screaming and fighting. The neighbor also said that the visitor was a younger woman. So I guess reporters have been knocking on Debbie's friends and neighbors' doors, trying to get some info. One friend refused to speak and said, there's a reason we're keeping quiet. So it seems like the neighbors might know something that we don't, or might have seen some things that they have told investigators and are keeping quiet about. Yeah. So Debbie and Steve didn't seem to be particularly friendly with the neighbors. Um, one of the neighbors said, when we would get together out here on the block for a cookout, they never participated. They said they didn't come to no get-togethers, and some locals said they didn't even know their names. Which, to be fair, like, my neighbors are all fine and nice, but, like, if they were having a cookout, I wouldn't go. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like in this situation, you're like, oh, weird. Like, why are they antisocial? But realistically, let's think about it. Like, do we any of us want to hang out with our neighbors usually? Probably not. Yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like <laughs> some people do and some people don't, and it's not unusual either way. Yeah, I'm yeah. not one of those people. <laughs> 
On September 21st, which is 10 days after Debbie was found deceased, the Habersham County Sheriff's Office said that there was no evidence of either a kidnapping or suicide. They also gave an update that said a search warrant had already been executed at locations tied to the victim and that interviews had already been conducted with those closest to the victim. So on September 22nd, Amanda's boyfriend, Andrew, spoke to the media. He said that their phones had been confiscated by police and he feels that they're being looked at as suspects. He said, they haven't really told us anything. They've interrogated all of us. The people who are closest to her are kind of looked at as suspects right now. He said, it's weird. I feel like the sheriff's department may have some leads, but they won't tell us anything. He also spoke about the last time he saw Debbie. He said, we came back Thursday. Her mother brought us lunch Friday, and then Saturday is when she went missing, which seems to contradict what Amanda said about them running errands and having dinner on Friday. So not sure what's going on there. Um, he also said, we have no clue what's going on. We've pretty much just been sitting at home watching movies. He really needs to be quiet. <laughs> I know. He's one of those people that loves to talk. And we'll get into more of how he loves to talk later. <laughs> so Amanda and her boyfriend, Andrew, both have extensive criminal records for charges including domestic violence, drugs, and lying to police. In May 2021, Andrew allegedly wrote a note that threatened Debbie and her whole family, which isn't really a great look considering the circumstances now. Um, the note, it looks like it was written with a green Crayola marker by a three-year-old. Like yeah, I was going to say a 10-year-old, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's embarrassing. But the note says, have a nice life, you lying ass bitch don't ever contact me again if you or your family ever come near me again i will hurt them p.s i'm not <laughs> stupid here's your what we i don't know fucking something or i'm assuming it says it's a swear word because they're blocked out there so i don't know it looks like it might say i don't know i can't think of here's your, your something, something money maybe or i don't know i don't know this, we're just speculating, but it says here's your, and then the rest is blocked out. Yeah. And also, the PS fucking kills me. <laughs> like, it's so <laughs> immature and stupid. <laughs> so, according to police documents, Amanda said that Andrew had broken into her home, screamed at her, and attacked her, showing police bruises on her shoulders and arms. A police report reads, in her living room, Amanda showed me a handwritten note left on a notebook. She advised that Andrew wrote this before he left. Andrew was arrested on charges, including battery as a result of the incident. athens Clark County police described the two as having a family violence relationship. So according to the May 2021 arrest warrant, it says Andrew did intentionally cause visible bodily harm to Amanda. She had visible bruising to the right arm and shoulder. He was also ordered to stay away from Amanda, who was also arrested and charged at the same time for making a false police report for saying that Andrew had broken into their home when they actually lived together. Her case over the incident is still ongoing, we think. So the same police report also quoted Steve, the stepdad, who told officers the violence between Amanda and the boyfriend was pretty constant over the entire time they've dated, which spanned a couple of years. In an interesting twist and maybe interesting timing, Amanda and Andrew had apparently been living in Maryland and they moved back to Georgia just two days before Debbie vanished. Andrew had been arrested again just before Debbie vanished. On August 26th, he was ordered to serve six days in jail and to show proof he had entered a substance abuse treatment program within 20 days. 
As for some of Amanda's past, in 2012, a fight with her boyfriend resulted in an arrest for battery, but she later pled guilty to the lesser charge of disorderly conduct in November 2012, earning her 12 months probation, an order to take anger management courses, and to have no contact with that boyfriend. In 2013, Amanda, then 27, broke probation after she attempted to provide a fraudulent sample to a drug test lab and was sentenced to 30 days in the local jail. It's unclear how much time she spent in confinement. So Jeffrey, who's Debbie's son, made the following statement about the loss of his mother. It says, at this time, I, Jeffrey Bearden, am writing to request privacy and respect during the darkest and most harrowing time for my family. I've been incredibly hurt and disturbed by some of the reporting and information shared regarding the investigation into my mother's death. I ask that all attention on the tragic story of my mother's death remain focused on aiding the police investigation. It is not appropriate to approach myself or my family at their homes or on our personal social media accounts. It is not appropriate to publish speculation about my family. There is no place for the court of public opinion in the pursuit of justice for my mother, and this speculation continues to be traumatic and hurtful for my family during the most difficult time we have experienced. He also goes on to say, I will never be able to fully articulate the loss of my mother and what she meant to me. She was my strongest source of love, support, and encouragement. My mother was very a very vibrant and strong soul. She was a person who valued kindness, empathy, and understanding throughout her entire life. She went through life recognizing the beauty and grace in everything she saw and experienced around her. She enjoyed many aspects of life and knew that daily life was filled with joy and beauty. She spent her time enjoying and making art. She valued listening to, dancing, and singing along with her favorite music. My mother consumed herself with the holidays as her focus remained on family and the value of being together over a home-cooked meal. Each year, she would shower her family with thoughtful gifts as gestures to remind you of her constant presence and awareness of your life and your value to her. Most importantly, she was always loved, cared, and respected her family. My mother was persistent in her love throughout my entire life, and I will persist until she is given the justice that she deserves. Our lives have been irrevocably changed. Our grief is here and our pain is deep. Again, that is why I'm pleased asking you to respect our privacy while we learn to cope and adjust with our loss. So that's his statement, a little bit more articulate than what Amanda and Andrew have been saying. So on September 26, this story just continued to get even weirder. They found a footage of Debbie at a family dollar store, which was from the day that she disappeared, September 10. The police said investigators did obtain footage that shows the victim, Deborah Collier, entering the store on September 10 at 2.55 p.m. and remaining there until 3.09 p.m. In the video, the victim appears to be calm and not in fear of anything. All video footage obtained from the store and surrounding businesses reflect that she was alone in the van at the time she visited the store. So while she was in the dollar store, she purchased a rain poncho, a refillable torch lighter, a two-roll pack of paper towels, a tarp, and a reusable tote bag. And they confirmed this by getting a copy of the receipt as well as looking at the video footage from the store. So they said this information allows investigators to narrow the time of death to a window beginning at 3.09 p.m. on Saturday, September 10, to the discovery of the body on Sunday, September 11 at 12.44 p.m. So just for some context, the Venmo that she apparently sent to Amanda was sent at 3.17 p.m., which was just eight minutes after she was in the family dollar. And by then, she was already in the area where her car was. So she left the family dollar and she drove to the place where she apparently sent the Venmo um, all while she'd been alone in the car eight minutes before. So I don't know. I just, it's so strange. I just, it's like, and then it also seems like she bought stuff that 
Like, is that she what would was at the crime scene? Like, the yeah. tarp and, like, there was fire. The, the torch and the yeah, bag. The lighter. Yeah. It's so – anyway, we can talk about that more in theories. But it seems like basically she was alone when she purchased the things that were used in her death, essentially. And she was probably likely alone when she sent the Venmo message, which indicates that she was kidnapped when she possibly wasn't. So I just don't understand. I don't know why this is confusing me. When would she have been potentially kidnapped? Like immediately after leaving? That's what I mean. Like, and if she was already, yeah. I, and I then just, did they say she was waiting in her car for a bit? Yeah. At some yeah. point. Yeah. So she was in the car. I'll just see if I said that in the thing. Um, I think you said it further down. Well, yeah. She was in. Yeah. Okay. She was in the store until three oh nine, and the Venmo was sent eight minutes later. So by that time, she'd already left the parking lot. She had was in the area where her car ended up being found. It's just very quick timing if she was abducted for someone to abduct her and for her to decide that they're not going to let her go. And she would have had to have stopped somewhere else for someone to abduct her. Like, yeah. Unless, how do you get abducted while you're driving? Exactly. And surely, if they have all this footage from and they said surrounding businesses, if there was an abduction, you would think that would be very obvious. So weird. Um, so just as kind of a side note before we get on with the story, Debbie in the past had posted a lot on social media. In 2020, she did post some photos of herself with a black eye on social media. Um, it's quite like a graphic-ish photo. The injury looks bad. Her eyes all scabbed and bruised. Um, you know, I don't know. I guess you can take from it what you will, but she said that she face planted on the sidewalk in December 2020. So she had some significant injuries from an apparent fall back then that she documented. I think it looks worse than that, but I don't know. Like, I feel like, could you really get that much of a black eye if you landed on your face? Like, why is, wouldn't you land more on your nose as well? Why is there no bruising? Unless she landed on like the side of her face, but I don't know. Yeah, it's it doesn't seem like it lines up. It looks like what would happen if you got punched in the eye, essentially. Yeah, but you know, obviously we don't know what. There happened. is like a little scrape above it, but I don't know. Mm. So as I mentioned, as we mentioned before, the Venmo payments that Debbie had been making via Steve's account are public. Um, we've got some screenshots in the blog. Um, like it says things like Steve Collier paid Amanda Bearden on August two, and then like the. Um, thing says to Amanda from Debbie, Steve Collier, who was probably Debbie, paid Amanda for a battery on August 8. Um, and then like it goes on, there's another one from 17 days before I guess the screenshot was taken. It's just got a love heart, another one refill for a script, another one for gas. So it seems like Debbie or Steve, I'm assuming probably Debbie, was giving money to Amanda very regularly. I think it's interesting how on the one from August 2nd, it says to Amanda Bearden from Debbie Collier. I wonder if Steve actually did that one because that seems kind of different to... Just seems like a little all over the place. Yeah. Anyway, so the po- I guess the point of these screenshots is that there was many monetary contributions from Steve or Debbie to Amanda. It seems like Amanda was always needing money. Yeah. So Fox News visited the site where Debbie's body was found. They posted photos of, and they found burned paper towels, which she bought at the dollar store, melted bits of tarp and a small plastic buckle, which was maybe from the tote bag that she bought, as well as a piece of charred red fabric, which looked to be from Debbie's Georgia Bulldogs jersey that she was seen wearing in the CCTV. 
They also found an unfired round, as in a bullet, near where police found Debbie's body. Investigators said that it could be unrelated as there was no clear signs that Debbie was shot, but they took the bullet away anyway. So the police left all of this stuff at the scene. Like you can clearly see it's been burned, (laughs) red fabric burned. The bullet is clear as day. (laughs) Um, It just kind of makes you wonder what kind of investigation is ongoing. Yeah. All right. So on September 29th, the 911 call to police that was made by Steve was obtained by Fox News. We'll just put the clip of the 911 call in here. Hello, this is Steve Lawson from Fox News. Yes, uh, came on, my wife wasn't home, her driver's license still in there, the rental car is gone. And her daughter's here, and we were kind of worried about what's happening and where she's at. I was wondering if you could send somebody over here. Okay. Does she have any medical issues? Does she have, like, Alzheimer's or something like that? Uh, no, no. She's uh, 59 years old. No, she has no medical issues until I get. And according to her daughter, who went up, and uh, her purse is still here with her driver's license. The only thing is the phone is gone. And she sent her daughter a text about two hours ago saying they won't let me go. Whatever that means, we don't know. And I've been gone all day parking cars for the football game, and all, and what, that's what, where we're at. What's your address, sir? 435 Rocky Drive, Athens, Georgia. You said 435 Rocky Drive? Yes, it's right next to Sandy Creek Park. Okay, so she sent your daughter a text message saying that they My stepdaughter. stepdaughter, that they won't let her go. Yeah, they got, she's got a text message saying that. And it comes from her number, right? What, what is, um, what's your name, sir? Steve Collier. What's your last name for me? C-O-L-L-I-E-R. You just Thank returned you. home, right? Pardon me? You just returned home, right? Yes, I just returned home. I was parking cars uh, until about 4.30, and when I came back, the, the van that she had rented because the car was in the shop, uh was gone. I figured she was shopping for food. Okay. So, you, so and her car is there? Pardon me? Her, her, her van's not here. Okay. In the call, Steve says he came home from parking cars for the UGA game and Debbie wasn't there. He also mentions that Amanda was there, though, and that she had found her mother's purse in the home. He says, came home. My wife wasn't at home. Her driver's license still in there. The rental car is gone and the daughter's here. We're kind of worried about what's happening and where she's at. I was wondering if you could send someone over here. He also goes on to say, according to her daughter who went up, uh, her purse is still there with her driver's license. The only thing, the phone is gone. And she sent her daughter a text about two hours ago saying they won't let me go. Whatever that means, we don't know. At one point, the dispatcher asks, it's possible if Debbie's at someone else's house? And he says, that's a good question. I thought she was out shopping for food. Her daughter came over with that strange message and then went upstairs to her bedroom and found out her driver's license and credit card still here. So that doesn't sound like her leaving the house to go shopping like I thought it was. So Debbie's phone was turned off or died at 3.17 p.m., which is the time that she sent the Venmo message. The phone's last ping came in at that time from a cell tower in Clayton. During the press conference on September 30, police uh, revealed they had found Debbie's phone and the purse that she had in the family dollar 
um, footage at the crime scene. So I know a lot of people have said, well, why is the daughter saying that she's got the purse when the purse was found? She could have had multiple purses. I've also seen some comments that said she did have her debit card, but she had left the credit card at home. So like, I feel like there's a lot of confusion around that, but it's could it's be pretty, so confusing. <laughs> yeah. It could be pretty it's just hard to follow. Explained. Yeah. Yeah. And especially just because there's so much. Yeah. Yeah. Like no one's clarified like to say, oh no, well she had 30 purses. Of course she could have had well, another one. Even like with my mom, like sometimes she'll take like a purse or like wallet with her, but sometimes she'll just like take her debit card and not bring a purse if she doesn't need yep. it. Yeah. Police have also said that Debbie was seen at 2.17pm traveling north of the crime scene and she sat in the rental car for 10 minutes after she exited the family dollar. And they also did clarify eventually that they marked the drug-related box as they weren't sure if the crime was drug-related, but they have no reason to believe it was, which is very weird. <laughs> like, yeah, just why wouldn't you mark every single box that way? Yeah, it's just weird. They are still awaiting autopsy results. And as of the time of recording right now, we haven't found out exactly how she died, but they've said that they're waiting for several subpoenas, such as those from phone companies. So the discovery of the CCTV narrowed Debbie's time of death as we mentioned, from 3.19 on the Saturday to 12.44 p.m. on the Sunday. But police have said that the case remains complex in nature and has a lot of questions and unknowns. They're still treating it as if it was a murder and are continuing to investigate as one. The police have said there is no evidence that shows this was something random. We believe this act was deliberate and personal. So Andrew, the boyfriend, has still been speaking. He spoke to Fox News and he said, we sleep with stuff in front of our front door and our back door because we don't have anything to do with this. We're a little scared ourselves. Mm. (laughs) Um, So just a few days ago on October 3rd, some footage of Debbie's vehicle was released. It's just, it's not, I don't even know why they even really, I guess maybe just if anyone, (laughs) if anyone had seen her, but it's not exceptional footage. It's literally just the car driving on the road. It's seen travelling in Georgia at 12.17pm on September 10, which was before she was at the Dollar General, before the Venmo. Um, It's just footage of the car. Yeah. On October 5, we apparently learned that the money Amanda received the day her her mother went missing is very close to amount owed by her boyfriend, Andrew. He apparently owed the money in probation fines. This is according to Fox News Digital. And there's also a true crime Um, reporter I guess called Grizzly True Crime she has a slide up where she outlines the things that he owed so it says family violence violation 12 months probation and conditions of having to report to a substance abuse program with a DUI charge was $2,025 then he also owed $135 for three months of legal fees plus four months and 29 days of legal fees, which is $225, and that equals $2,385. So that's a very interesting amount that was transferred to Amanda, considering this is apparently what he owes. Mm -hmm. Um, Andrew has been very vocal on social media. He's been commenting a lot on YouTube videos, especially about this case. It has apparently been verified by his driver's license that it is him. We were sent over 40 screenshots of him talking about the case. I've just picked out a few that I thought were most interesting for us to discuss today because we'll be here all day if we talk about all 44. Yeah. Here's, um, let's get another ones I sent you. So his name on there is MMA125. Don't forget that he was an MMA fighter. (laughs) So someone commented, I think the daughter and the boyfriend did it. I think they sent the money and the message to try and make it look like a kidnapping. And he commented, well, they have already been cleared by police. Sometimes he talks 
in third person and sometimes he doesn't. <laughs> I think he used to talk in third person before it was verified that it was him and now And he was he's... pretending it wasn't him. Yeah, he was pretending it was just someone close to the case. Yeah. So someone wrote about the um, amount owed and transferred via the Venmo. They wrote, Grizzly True Crime did the math and the amount Venmo was exactly the same as the boyfriend's warrants needed to pay OMG. And he just responded with three laughing faces. <laughs> someone wrote, wait, what? Andrew owed $2,385, question mark. And he wrote, that's not even true, laughing face. Um, and then someone else wrote, I think this must have been in response to kind of some discussion about the boyfriend and Amanda being involved and someone wrote looks like that's what happened and he wrote this is obviously before he was verified (laughs) they both have alibis and provided a DNA sample three weeks ago (laughs) so someone then commented a little bit later right you should stay off the internet if you're really innocent so (laughs) all the comments he's made are along those lines as in they have an alibi they've been cleared Um, the police did search his and Amanda's house for over six hours Um, I don't know. It's just interesting. I feel like he is talking a lot, which might eventually end up being his undoing. But at this stage, which we're almost now nearly a month after Debbie went missing and was found dead, no one's been arrested. Nothing much else has come out about the case. Um, I thought there would be because we've, we've kind of waited a little while to report on this, but essentially it just kind of seems to have stopped. And I feel like some of the things that Andrew is saying are just like, he's trying to be like, well, it wasn't me. Like how he was like, we we put things in front of the door. Like we're scared too because we have nothing to do with this. I was like, dude, come on. Even we've just been staying home watching movies. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to like point fingers prematurely, but it's just a lot of things seem to point towards them. Yeah. Um. Just one, because of how quickly the whole thing happened. And it seems like they suddenly moved back here. And whoever's story is correct, they had just seen her a day or two before that. Like um, Amanda said that she was hanging out with her literally the night before it happened. Neighbors said they heard a fight. And neighbors also mentioned like that it was a young woman that they saw that would come up and argue, I guess. And I think the neighbor saying we're not talking for a reason is basically saying that they have a feeling it's also this woman who comes and argues with Debbie who kind of seems like it's probably Amanda. It's um so interesting to me and a little bit infuriating that police have already apparently ruled out, ruled out kidnapping and suicide in this case. So it seems like it, it must be a murder if you base it on that. But I don't know. It's just like the only the only scenario that I can see happening is that maybe Amanda had um, arranged to meet Debbie at this location for some reason, and that's where it all went down. They they grabbed her, sent the Venmo, and killed her in that space of time. But it just seems so weird. Like I just I just can't. Why why do it sixty miles from home? Why like there's just all these questions that I have actually no theory and no idea on why this. And did they like? If it was them, did they have her go buy these supplies yeah. for her own death? There was a theory I know that Debbie may have bought the supplies because she was going to a tailgate party like the tarp and that's why mm. she was wearing the, the Bulldogs jersey and things like that. But why would she be purchasing things 60 miles away from where she lived? It's just yeah. – um, I don't know. I just, I just can't even – I feel like the most obvious scenario is it was probably Andrew and Amanda. Um, 
there's an the article parts that still don't like totally make sense either. No, and there's an article that's just come out and it's basically said that this seems like it was personal and targeted and it was likely by someone she knew, especially if it wasn't her who sent the Venmo. Um, They knew where the key was. You know, they knew that this amount of money was going to be important to Amanda and Andrew possibly. Um, It's just – I'm also curious hmm. if the amount of money that she sent with the account that was coming from, was that all the money in the account? Like, what would make her choose that dollar amount? Or was she just being like, here, like, I'm going to die, take all my money. But it seems like it was an account that she shared with the stepdad. So I don't know why she would have been like, oh, if I don't send this money to you now, you won't have access to it, you know. And then the other thing is that the timeline indicates that she sent the Venmo when she was in the parking lot. So I don't know. I guess another um, possibility is that maybe there was the Venmo was available on another device. I don't know. Like maybe it could have been sent from somewhere else, not sent by Debbie while she was in the car park. Maybe Steve actually sent it. No. I don't know. It's just it's so, so confusing. So confusing. And especially because if there was no evidence of kidnapping, this message was obviously sent to insinuate there was a kidnapping. Why? Like it's just, I don't know. <laughs> I'm so confused. But it's like she clearly <laughs> – had to have been kidnapped in some capacity to end up dead in the woods, you would think. Yeah. And why, like the other thing is too, why was she naked? Like, uh, I don't know. My, I don't know. <laughs> I was going to say my initial theory on this was that it was a suicide or a mental break um, and that would explain why she gave the money, like why she was kind of acting strangely. But then it also it doesn't – like how did how did she die? Why was she naked? Why did do you know what I mean? Like yeah, I wonder I what her like, actual cause of death is. Yeah. So and it's been a month now, and they still haven't released it. So it'll be interesting to see what does come out before this episode released, if anything does come out, or if they keep it close to their chest, because maybe the investigation will still be ongoing. Yeah, it's super weird. And other things like you know, there's all the questions about if she was under duress, if someone said you need to go and buy this stuff and you need to meet me here. Why didn't she tell anyone at the Dollar General? She was alone. There was no one in the car. Like I feel like she had a bunch of opportunities to ask for help and she didn't. Yeah. And they said she didn't seem like she was under duress. No. Mm. And they like this is an article. It says, Debbie had every opportunity if she sensed she was in danger or was purchasing those items under duress. She could have reached out to the cashier, got her attention, dropped a note or anything, but she did nothing. She was not looking about in a scared or paranoid manner. And one other kind of interesting thing too is what was she doing for 10 minutes in the car? Who was she talking mowing. to? <laughs> yeah. Who was she talking to? Like I feel like that will be a key part in this case that they haven't released yet. Yeah. I'll be very interested to hear what happened. Me too. So that is kind of it up to date um, with the case and everything that's been released as such. I'm hoping there'll be an update and we might just have to record, but who knows? I don't know. That No one seems to really know much what's going about what's going on. And if you're still confused, don't worry. We are too. Like, it's just confusing. It's not even like we're explaining it poorly or anything it's just confusing (laughs) it's not our fault we've just explained what there is (laughs) yeah it's just even if you have it all laid out in front of you in writing like in a diagram it's still confusing yeah definitely (sighs) so that is it for debbie's case i think for now 
I feel like it's been a while since we've actually done any case updates um, on other episodes that we've done, but there have been two big ones that we just wanted to mention quickly. The first one is about Letitia Stauk. She is the woman who was accused of murdering her stepson, Gannon. We've been following his case forever, ever since it happened. She's been in jail for a long time, awaiting trial. She keeps pushing it back. She's basically been the worst. In September 2022, she filed a lawsuit against El Paso County for alleged mistreatment that she has apparently suffered while she's in jail. Um, This is kind of a summary of the suit from kktv.com. It says, claims made in the lawsuit by 39-year-old Letitia Stark ranged from medical neglect while in the county jail to rights violations such as lack of kosher food. Um, she's also suggested that she has been late to court in the past because she wasn't able to get toilet paper and that she is pissed off that there was no air conditioning in the jail transport van. First, our top story this half hour, an El Paso County woman accused of murdering her stepson has now filed a civil lawsuit in federal court claiming she was mistreated in jail. Letitia Stalk wrote a 13-page letter to the court claiming her civil rights were violated. I went through the complaint today. Here's what I found. Stalk claims she was mistreated in jail by not receiving kosher food and says she was neglected for medical care. The complaint names two El Paso County Sheriff deputies, a medical provider in the jail, and a food service provider. I spoke with Stephen Longo. He's an attorney in Colorado Springs who says this could present some issues in Stouck's trial for the murder of her stepson, Gannon. Currently, the court is awaiting the results of a mental health evaluation. Longo says this could pose some challenges when it comes to determining her sanity. Well, it presents awful. It's a generally a complex area of law, and it's decently articulated in the complaint. Longo adds the complaint could come across as backtracking for the defense as Stouck has pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. Her whole lawsuit and her handwritten um, notes are online. I'll, I'll put them in the blog. I suggest you all have a look because she's such just a Karen. <sighs> yeah, 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 a Karen, an absolute Karen. The whole document is, I'm just opening it up, 20 pages. Her whole lawsuit is 20 pages long, goes in. I'll just pick out some of the most interesting parts to read because you don't want to read the whole thing. It's just loading, sorry. So she says, my First Amendment right was, via, was violated by means of my kosher diet. Inmates sign an agreement stating they will adhere to policy and follow their kosher diet guidelines to avoid interruption of meals and services. She has expressed several concerns of the meals not being wrapped appropriately and items that were not kosher approved being placed on our diets. So this is part one of the thing that basically it goes on and on they were not I advised deputies they were not providing kosher meals while at court and that eating the quote sack lunches were a violation of our kosher signed policy for well, then she gets to the medical neglect the eighth amendment she says i was arrested in march 2020 and upon intake i signed an roi and explained my extensive history with stomach issues i suffer from severe ibs with symptoms present 12 or more days a month leaky gut abdominal pain present 15 or more days a month enter something bleeding blood in stool seven or more days a month swelling beyond normal range the presence of knots in my stomach that one can feel in constant pelvic pain in my stomach listed blah 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 she goes on saying she was prescribed all these certain things she has notes on all the times her stomach was bothering her. Even she goes into more about her kosher violations. She said that she was served smeat, which I haven't heard about, but that's apparently a processed meat 
um, with non-kosher items in plant ground pork. They will claim no pork touched this meat, but the meal was a violation and contamination of non-kosher either way. I wonder if she was kosher before she went into jail. I was I, wondering that too. I suspect this may be because she knows it's going to be difficult for them. So she's, she's yeah. She's not very kosher to murder your stepson either. But. Yeah. She um, also has documented all the medical professionals that she's seen. So she says she's seen a doctor, Jane Doe, described as about five foot nine, long, dark brown hair, medium built, white, fair skin. <laughs> And there's oh, this one. So she also claims that the nurses and doctors would hide their badges from her. She said, I've sent grievances, spoke with several medical staff members to include but not limited to Heather, Danielle, Maggie, and several other Jane Does who hide their badges inside of their clothing or who turn it around. So she's really, everyone's got it against me. Everyone's There's out another one. Spoke to Jane Doe nurse who had a, her badge backwards and refused <laughs> to give name. Yeah. And then she talks oh God, about how she's such a nightmare had blurry vision because of all these things that they've done to her. Um, <laughs> it's long, like 20 pages of her whining essentially. You know, I, I, she might have these medical conditions, I have no doubt, but I feel like a lot of this is just to prolong Be the whole difficult. process. Yeah. So the judge is basically had enough, is getting fed up. After she arrived to her hearing in September, nearly an hour late because she refused to go, Judge Werner ruled that officers can force her to come to court even if you, even if she refuses. He said, we had a conversation a while back about you needing to be here and what it would look like if you refuse. He said he has ordered deputies to use all force reasonable necessary, necessary to make sure that she leaves the jail on court days and that she attends court. So it's just such a... Uh circus really she's she's doing a Laurie Vallow Laurie Vallow is doing the same they're just trying to drag it out as much as they can to prove difficult yeah 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 um so another update we have um I mean this update came out a little while ago but we haven't talked about it so Eliza Fletcher her cause of death came out we'll have the full autopsy or full report on the blog but it says Autopsy examination revealed a perforating gunshot wound to the head. Based on all the currently known and available information, the cause of death is gunshot wound and blunt force injury to the head in the manner of death is homicide. Um, it also says that Eliza had blunt force injuries to her right leg and that fentanyl and metabolite were found to be in her system. Um, one reading shows a concentration of 10 NG slash ML found in her body some academic studies show that as little as five ng mls can be fatal so kind of not what a lot of people expected i think more i don't people i definitely be strangled i didn't definitely didn't expect the fentanyl no it's crazy um and i think we discussed in the episode how we thought it probably wasn't going to be a gunshot wound because there was no evidence or they hadn't mentioned that there was a weapon but i guess that we were very wrong in this case yeah i it just seems like what happened was really awful and terrible. And I hope at least if she had fentanyl in her system that she was like unaware of what was happening before she died. Yeah, that's that. And I, a lot of people have said that and that would be kind of, you wouldn't think it would be a saving grace, but maybe it was essentially. Yeah, that's like the only, not even, I'm not even going to say good, but just to make it less horrifying and scary for her 
I, I posted the whole autopsy on our Instagram. We do have an Eliza Fletcher highlight. It's all there too if you want to look up, look it up there. We had a lot of questions. For example, it says that her tongue is absent and why that would be. I'm assuming it would be because of decomposition and maybe animal activity, which I know is graphic, but I, I don't know why else that would be. Well, it went into like a lot of – the report goes into a lot of graphic details about like yeah. animal or insect activity and like how decomposed she was. But also if she was shot in the back of the head, that could have added some facial trauma as well. Because I think didn't say like half of her face was kind of missing. Yeah. Um, And one other kind of maybe saving grace or, you know, not I keep saying saving grace, but you know what I mean? I know it sounds bad, but I know what you mean is that she still had food in her system. It says the stomach contains 500 milliliters of tan brown paste consisting of nuts, which is consistent with peanuts, almonds, and cashews, green leafy material, small small pale brown particles, possibly oats, and purple fruit-like material. So maybe she made a smoothie before she went for a run. Um, like I, I feel like that indicates that she probably died fairly quickly after she was taken. So my guess is that she didn't suffer for days and days and days. He would have probably injected her with drugs when he got her into the car to like subdue her. So hopefully as soon as she got in the car, she was just out of it. So if you want to read the whole thing, it's on the blog. I'm interested to know what the um, injury to her leg was all about. They haven't really gone into detail or I haven't really seen any theories about what that was about but they did note that there was some injuries on her right leg I believe so I wonder if that was when he was just like trying to get her into the car like maybe if he hit her with the door or something I don't know maybe I don't know either but um yeah so sick stories like that are so scary because it's literally just was a random pick basically yeah, like even it says things like the lips are absent. So I'm assuming you're right in that maybe the tongue is also absent because of the gunshot. Yeah, like it seemed, I think it said that she had like a lot of facial trauma. So whether it be from like the gunshot and then also insect and decomposition, just seems like her body wasn't in great condition when they found it. I wonder where he shot her. Like obviously I'm not talking about on her body, but I'm talking about location-wise. I wonder if he did it in the car or where she was dumped like I wonder what the actual timeline was because we haven't really heard anything else about that yet yeah my guess would be he drugged her in the car drove to wherever did whatever I don't think it says that she was sexually assaulted but I don't know no. if that'll it be does the case. say that she wasn't wearing any pants I believe I think I think even we might have discussed that in the episode that the pants were found near her her shorts were found near yeah. her but yeah, it doesn't mention any sexual assault in the autopsy that I have seen anyway. Yeah, but then my guess would be he brought her to whatever location, dumped her. Maybe she wasn't dead yet from the fentanyl, so he shot her. Yeah. Um, but that would be my thought. <sighs> so yeah, a very horrific update for that one. Yeah. So that is it for this episode. Everything will be on the blog. We'll link all the reports and documents and pictures and everything. And if you're confused about Debbie's case, it might be easier to read it out in writing. So check out truecrimesocietyblog.com. Follow us on Instagram at truecrimesociety. And my Instagram is stephsum underscore Olivia's is TCS Olivia. Follow us there to see what we're doing in our everyday exciting lives. 
leave us a review if you haven't already. You could do it on Apple and on Spotify and share the podcast with all your friends, family, everyone you know, and check out our sponsors if any of them sound interesting to you. You can always message us and ask us for the codes. I know sometimes it's easy to um, forget what they are, but we usually list them. We always list them in the show notes as well, but you can always message us and ask too. Um, but I think that's it. Hopefully next time you hear me, I will sound less sick. But um, that's it. It's always so loud. This is why I want to move. Um, all right. So thanks for listening. Be nice to each other. And peace out. See ya.